What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Pro GK Podcast, the quarantine series. Today, we have another special guest for you guys, another goalkeeper coach from the English Premier League, Anthony White. He's the first team assistant goalkeeper coach for AFC Bournemouth. Anthony takes us through his coaching journey, talks about his different methodologies, and how his psychology and sports science background has helped him form his methodologies and philosophies, as well as his approach to the position. Again, guys, we have a ton of new episodes coming out. Make sure you guys are following along on the Pro GK Academy Instagram channel, where you guys can ask your questions on the Instagram Lives. Just check on those. You guys will see on the stories daily when the next episode will be. And again, guys, if you guys haven't already reviewed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps this channel grow a little bit more, and it helps these podcasts get out to more people. So please, if you haven't done that, go ahead and do that for me today. Again, guys, my name is Omar Zini. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Take care. Anthony, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. You know, just doing as many of these as I can while you guys are on vacation. Not vacation, but I know you guys are staying busy, but just trying to get uh, get you guys on here and just share your ideas. I mean, you guys, wealth of knowledge, so I'm excited to have you on today. Thank you very much for having me. Perfect. Well, let me give a, I'm going to give people a little bit of a background about you, and then from there, we can just kind of, we can, we can go from there, but uh, quick introduction to Anthony White, AFC Bournemouth first team assistant goalkeeper coach. Uh, you're one of the world's youngest, these are all my, all my research here, so if I'm wrong, please let me know, okay? Yeah. One of the world's youngest recipients of the UEFA A goalkeeping license at 25, and then you got your outfield A license as well at 26. And then you became one of the youngest goalkeeper coaches in English football history at 22 with Oldham Athletic. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're well known for tailoring your coaching philosophies around your master's degree in applied exercise and sports science, as well as your bachelor's in psychology. So hopefully that was a good introduction and people have an idea about uh, who you are. With that being said, though, Anthony, where is your coaching journey taking you up until this point? Yeah, uh, good research, to be fair. That's uh, <laughs> fair play. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I started as a youngster at Stoke City uh, when I was 10 years old and navigated myself uh, through there up until the age of 16. Um, was deemed not good enough at 16, so I, I then went on numerous trials up and down the country, signed for Oldham Athletic, um, and then again got released at 18. As I walked out of the door at 18, the coach said to me, if you can't play for your country, go and explore coaching for your country. Something that I didn't really take on board straight away. Decided then to go to America. Did a degree in psychology at Rollins College, their Division II uh, soccer program in Florida. Amazing experience. Allowed me to see uh, the different trends of goalkeeping, especially in America at the time. And I was able to be what they classed over there at the time as like the lead goalkeeping coach or head of goalkeeping of a, a small club uh, owned by Global Premier Soccer. Uh, they were called FC America at the time. I had to do it as a volunteer basis because of our our visas, they're all student-based, but it was an incredible experience. It was four or five nights a week, and then you got to coach at the weekend. And it was incredible, to be honest, because you got to coach a range from nines all the way through to the 18s, lads that were going off to college, girls that were going off to college. It was a really good experience, to be fair. And then I finished my degree half a year early and returned to England. I tried to carry on playing at Crew and, and a little bit at Oldham as well. And fortunately, the Oldham Athletic goalkeeping coach at the time, Bobby Mims, uh, decided to leave. He took a national position. I think it was, I could be, I could be wrong here. Anyway, it's a national position, <laughs> uh, not in England, put it that way. And the, the job came up. I was in the building. I was coaching the youth team at the time. Would I like to take it? And Lee Johnson, who's now the manager of Bristol City, uh, gave me a six-month trial. I finished off the end of the season. And then I was able to get another two years the following year. And then what's transpired to now being at Bournemouth is I met Neil Moss at our goalkeeping A license together. Uh, we never really spoke a great deal. It was quite quiet, sat at the back of the classroom, listened, took a lot in, in a lot of awe really, because I was this young 24-year-old <laughs> goalkeeping coach and I had a room full of the likes of Neil Moss, who's played hundreds of league games. You had Kevin Pressman. There was just so many people on there that you were like, wow, I'm in a room here full of knowledge. And yeah, one morning, I think it was about four weeks before I was due to get married, uh, Neil Moss rung me and said, you know, there's a, a space open up as my assistant. Would you like to come and join me at Bournemouth? And I put the phone down and told told the missus, that, you know, that's where we're going. So uh, she left the job at Kellogg's and, and off we came down here five hours away. 
and uh, we're now based in Bournemouth. Yeah. Well, I want to. I kind of want to circle back something you said earlier. I mean, it, it's it's been a great path. You're only 28 now, which is, I mean, you've you've covered a lot of ground at a young age, so it's impressive. And I think a, a lot of young coaches as well could would definitely, if I could applaud and put like an applause sound right now, I could, I would. Um, but no, for for you, you said talking about when you were you know 16 and then released. Uh, you said Stoke City, correct? Yeah, it's released Stoke. Yeah. And then at 18, it was at, you were at uh, Oldham. Is that where it was? Yeah, Next? Oldham. Yeah. So and then you came to the U.S. and then you said you're, as a coach now, you're you're trying to deal with those different trends. How did you feel the American game, you know, differed in t- in terms of uh, what they were teaching there compared to what you were taught? Yeah, I don't want to sound disparaging or anything. Um, I think it was just very. I found it really hard at the time to go over there as a goalkeeper. Very technical based in England. There was a high expectation to be sounding your techniques, whether it be a dive technique, scoop, handling. And then I almost went into an environment, especially the college university environment, where that never happened, which was horrendous for me as a goalkeeper and how I felt, but fantastic for me as a coach, because the coach that we had over there, you know, he didn't have a great deal of background in goalkeeping, which probably made it really good for me (laughs) um, from the simple fact that he didn't prescribe things like that. He just went off what the game looks like. And went, okay, this is what the game looks like. This is how we're going to work. And for me, it took the best part of three and a half years for me really to get my head around how, what could I have done had I had all of those years before coached in that way for me as a goalkeeper. But yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience. Like I say, I think from those college university settings, especially when you've got an assistant coach who doubles up as a goalkeeping coach, they offer that different insight from an outfield perspective that maybe you know, a solitary goalkeeping coach might not. I'd like to think that it's going to move that way moving forward. Yeah. And you can definitely see that in different formats of the game. Is that one of the reasons why you you, wanna, you went ahead and got your outfield coach's license as well to kind of, I mean, the coaches that I've had on here, they've discussed that to understand the goalkeeping position, you have to understand the game as well and the ins and outs of it. So did you feel that that helped you out? Yeah, I mean, as part of our qualifications when we're young, when we're old and athletic, as part okay. of the remit here, you have to do your outfield qualifications. So you do um, the, like the level two English qualification. And then when I moved to the States, I got myself on my UA for B. Really lucky to get on there. And uh, it's a strange story, really, but I got on the plane. I thought I was sat next to Sean Reed, um, an ex-professional footballer here. It turns out I was sat next to David Dunn uh, and offended wow. him straight away. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, you know, we spent the whole week together, did our UA for B. And then four years later, when we were back at Oldham Athletic, he was actually the manager. So wow. when one of the managers got sacked, David Dunn walked through the door. And it was a great experience, the fact that I'd shared my UEFA B journey with him. And now he's going to be the manager. So Sounds like, yeah, you've, you've really taken, uh, I mean, opportunities have come your way. But again, I always tell people, when opportunities come, you also have to be good at what you do. So everything uh, about you seems like you do. And uh, one thing I do want to bring up, though, is that you, you took up Oldham Athletic and you became one of the youngest goalkeeper coach, I think, in, in English, I think from what I, from what I have here, English football history, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But how did you step into that position? Now you're managing older players and older coaches and things like that. How, how did you manage that as a young coach? Yeah, initially, it was quite hard. I won't, I won't lie. I had a goalkeeper who's called Paul Rachubka. He was 34, ex-Man United goalkeeper. Um, and I also had Mark Oxley, who we just got on loan from Hull. So for me, both of these goalkeepers are a lot older than me. Paul Richubka at the time was 13 years older than me, had a wealth of experience. Mark Oxley was six, seven years old, older than me. I never actually asked the question to any of the goalkeepers what they wanted. The best piece of advice I had was from Paul Richubka. He sat down with me one afternoon and he just said, Ank, can I have a coffee? I said, yeah, no problem. I said, I like a milkshake, but... You know, whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll just sit there and we'll, we'll have a chat. And he, he said to me, he said, look, I'm going to help you out here. He said, like the sessions, like what we're doing. But you've never actually asked me what I want or what I need. And from that moment, it was like, brilliant. You know, if I could have learned anything over that journey, it was from him in those first few seconds. And then it was about me bringing out what I needed to in terms of my own personality because that was yeah. the hardest thing. You've, you've gone from being a player inside a dressing room where you were told everything to now almost how do I form a relationship with a player in a different type of way, especially when I'm so young. 
it was tough, especially from the environment as well. If you think about in newspapers, there's probably three or four articles that went about from the local paper that was, you know, what, what does a 21-year-old goalkeeping coach know? Wow. We were in a relegation battle at the time. It was tough. The following year, fortunately, we still had a great coach in Lee Johnson. And, yeah, we got into the playoff positions before he then got taken to Barnsley. And I suppose slowly the tides turned and we were able to, to form a department. But it really came from poor Chubka just having a nice little chat for five minutes and going, yeah. hey, you know, this is, this is how I feel after 34 years in the game. Absolutely. I think those conversations are huge, right? Those collaborative uh, efforts for the first team goalkeeper coach or the goalkeeper coach who's going to be working with those goalkeepers day in and day out. You kind of have to give the goalkeepers what they want. So so based off of that, is there any other advice that you got from being so young and having those articles written about you? And, um, you know, us young coaches sometimes are trying to find our voice. Do you feel like you found your voice in those few years you were there? I do. I think, again, it's all about luck. Again, like you said before about taking luck, I was really uh, fortunate that although I had two older goalkeepers, I had two younger goalkeepers to work with. Um, So Chris Renshaw, who then moved on to Everton, he's now playing non-league. And Joel Coleman, who's the number two at Huddersfield, he moved on eventually. Uh, And I think it was the fact that you're actually getting advice from people younger as well. So because you formed relationships, you understood how each other worked uh, in a close knit environment. And the goalkeepers actually respected each other. I think that was the biggest thing. The fact that Paul, who was 34, and Joel, who was 18, they respected there was a common ground between what each other needed and how the sessions were going to develop based on each other's needs. You know, um, Paul might want a certain way because that's the way he's done it. And if he's the number one, then should we be moving away from that or should we be almost saying to Paul, this is a potential way. I'm more than happy to keep with your way. Can we try and explore these little things? Whereas Mm. the younger goalkeepers, they were so open more for the fact that they were young and they hadn't had concrete, you know, this is the set way that I do it. This is a set warm up, set practice design. You know, so you found a common ground between the two. Yeah, and I think a question that I get a lot from young coaches is, how do I step into a new environment and prove to myself or show people that I know what I'm doing and, and va- you know, validate myself as a coach? And uh, it sounds like, for, from what I'm hearing from you, it was an ebbs and flow. It wasn't a first, you know, first day you came in and, and you figured it out. So um, any advice for those coaches that may be stepping in and kind of how you dealt with it? Yeah, I think it's sheer hard work, I'll be honest, because for the first two and a half years, I'm sure you've heard in professional football, it's, it's um, cutthroat. So for the first two and a half years, I could have been cast aside from the from the club. There was five managers at the time that could have got rid of me. And it's, it's nerve-wracking. Uh, every day when a new manager comes in, it's nerve-wracking. What do they think of you? And the only thing I could think in my own head was put my head down, work hard, hope that the goalkeepers perform to a level, respect you, and that you're respected around the place as well. Of course, there's going to be clashes between departments. There's going to be clashes between uh, individuals. At the club. That's the way football works. That's where any business works. But if you can form your own identity, have a strong belief in that identity, but also be open to others' opinions, I think that's a really like key skill to have. I wouldn't yeah. say that I've mastered that yet. I'm far from it. Far, far from it. Uh, I've got a lot of learning to do. Um, but... You know, I definitely recognise, especially over the last 18 months, that that's a key area that all of us as coaches and and developers in the game need to firmly work on. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, it's an ever-evolving process. You never really, and any coach that I've spoken to, you never really hit a, a peak. It's always continuously figuring out the new technology or the new personalities, the new generation of players that are coming through. What are they dealing with and uh, having those conversations. So that's good to hear. Uh, but Anthony, I want to get into your philosophy. And again, I, I keep bringing back Oldham Athletic and how, when you stepped in and how you stepped in at such a young age. And um, for again, from my research, it says that you implemented an elite player performance plan program uh, from the U9s through to the first team, which was a research-based approach through the goalkeeping DNA at the club. One, can you just explain to me how you came about that at, you know, at being so young and how close is the way you approach the position at 22 to how you approach it now? Yeah, of course. So the EPPP program is basically implemented by the Premier League. It's required by all 
all um, academies now. So Cat 1, Cat 2 and Cat 3. At different stages through Cat 1, Cat 2 and Cat 3, it varies in terms of what is needed. Uh, so at a Cat 3 level, there's slightly less need for certain things. And as you grow into a Cat 1, which would be like a Man United football club, there's more needs, staff, programme, processes, etc. So when I was a youngster playing there, there was, there was nothing really in place. So although they had the goalkeeping coaches, which were fantastic, it was a constant conveyor belt of goalkeeping coaches because of the nature of the football club. So there'd nothing been put concrete sort of in place, no structure. And with the work that obviously the FA had been doing, Tim uh, and his colleagues with regards to the England DNA, it was really important that the clubs within England were now working off that structure. So could we formulate what not necessarily an older athletic goalkeeper would look like, but what were the needs of the coaches from a development perspective and the coaches from you know, a first team perspective? And then could you form a branch from a, from a goalkeeping perspective, how that would work within a team environment? So again, I was lucky enough in the fact that the academy were fairly stable. We had Tony Phyllis Kirk, who's now at Burnley, uh, Simon Cooper, who now at Blackburn, and Pete Wild, who was the manager there. They're really stable people. They were stable in the job. So it allowed me to come into an environment and go, what does your program look like? And how can we now offer something similar to the goalkeepers? And then obviously we were lucky enough from a first team level with me working there um, that Lee Johnson sort of understood the position from his perspective, but it was almost asking him, what does the goalkeeper look like from your perspective? And I asked this question for one reason. So if I was to ask you now as a manager, what you potentially wanted, you would turn around and maybe say, I want, I want Edison, you know, I want De Gea, I want this. But what are the crooks of what you need to operate with your team? Is it that you need a goalkeeper to kick, you know, 60 yards in a game because that's the way that your team work? Or is it that you need a, a ball player? Ultimately, you want the best shot stopper in the world. Ultimately, you want these things that are, that are easy for you to say but not very, you know, not tangible to actually go and get. You know, not every goalkeeper is going to be a 10 out of 10 on every single strand. So I think that's the crux of any goalkeeping coach is to actually ask the manager before any blame game occurs or anything else. What is it that you desire from the goalkeeping position? You know, when you, especially when you're recruiting, what is it that you desire? What does that look like? If they want the perfect keeper, what are they prepared to sacrifice? You know, is it maybe playing with the feet? Is it a certain aspect of uh, not being as dominant with aerial threats, whatever that might be. But so that there's a common ground built so that when the time comes and the yeah. goalkeeper comes in and he can't quite come for as many aerial threats or he's not as good with his feet, at least there's a, something been developed there so that you there is common ground and understanding. Yeah, and has there ever been a situation where you've had to kind of sacrifice what your beliefs are as a coach and how you want to recruit goalkeepers or to, to develop them based off what the first team manager wants? Well, not Obviously not at Bournemouth because we've been blessed with very, very good goalkeepers. Uh, at Oldham, it's slightly different in the respect that we had a conveyor belt for quite a, a long time. Once Paul Rachubka left, uh, we had a lot of loans coming in uh, and they would be month loans where it was almost who could I get through the door or who could the manager get through the door? And that's not patronising to anybody that did come through. It was just the way uh, it worked at the time. Uh, you know, we, we would either have injuries or the goalkeepers would go back to their parent clubs or the budgets at the club wouldn't allow. So it's almost like who's available? Mm. Do they best suit the needs financially maybe with the club? And can we get them in? We had some excellent goalkeepers at the time. Neil Etheridge came in, who's now at Cardiff City. We were lucky enough to actually have Paddy Kenny come and play for us uh, at QPR. You know, so, yeah, I wouldn't say we've ever had to sacrifice anything. I'd just say we've had to change the goalkeeper that was in the goal, change what that goalkeeper looked like on many different occasions over a three-year period. Yeah, and I think some even if, what I meant by that one, Anthony, was um, like the academy system. You know how you guys wanted to, to in any you know team that has an academy system you push them through the academy to the first team you want to kind of have that same criteria so based on those coaches that were coming in did you ever have to go back to the criteria or the development phase of how you drew things out and change things up a little bit to mirror what the head coach wanted again 
obviously at Bournemouth, no, because we've been really solid with, with the manager that we've had. You know, he's been here for years. And at Oldham, I'd actually have to say no, because when Joel, who was the youngster at the time, he occupied the position for 18 months, the managers that came in had firm belief in him. It's almost coming through the academy system into the first team that he was the man for that job. So I've never experienced that. Something that obviously it'd be nice to experience and how you deal with that, but I actually haven't uh, as yet. Got you. Okay, so uh, so you know you have your master's in, in applied exercise and sports science. You have a bachelor's in, in psychology. How has that background of yours helped you approach your goalkeeping philosophy? Yeah, I think the 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 misconception at times with um, certain things is like sports science almost gets bracketed as fitness. And the realms of sports science and psychology are so diverse and it depends on what you what you like your niche to be, how you like to, to delve into it. So I'm I'm more psychological based. I like to, to look at the approaches of how session design can be adapted through psychology. So as an example, I, I know some people may have seen the, the case studies that we've done in the past of the announced and announced and live. But I'd go off something like that. So We've had many discussions, I know, and I've seen a lot on the podcasts and, and the, the conversations here, is the fact that, you know, we talk about technique a lot. Technique in its, in its basic principle is something that you do in isolation. So how do we develop that into a skill? And that's what I'm, I'm really passionate about. So when we talk about the volley, and again, everybody is more than willing to, to do this. I'm just giving an opinion. But you talk about a volley, that becomes a technique. But where does the skill come? So the skill to actually catch a ball is when the, the person that's kicking the ball is doing it in a realistic competitive environment. Uh, so all of the cues that are being fed to the goalkeeper are, are realistic. So bugbear of mine as a, as a kid growing up was he was technically great. And I was, I, I was, I was good technically, but I, I was so poorly skilled. It was unbelievable because you put me in a competitive environment I lack the ability to pick out cues. I lack the ability to, to understand what the actual game was. Um, I was really good at doing routines and doing the perfect ideal handshape, dive, whatever that particular technique was. So it's sort of fed into the system now is how does session design look for the goalkeeper? Is session design there for us as coaches to go, that was a really good session, session today? Or is it a opportunity for the goalkeeper to explore sort of different environments that they then may be faced when they go with the outfield or into a game environment. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think one of the first times that I was introduced to your work was somebody mentioned that I'm not specifically sure where you had your uh, conference, but you, you mentioned that you were moving slightly away from that volley because again, it's that isolated skill and, and isolated technique. And for your sessions now, like you said, sometimes as coaches, we can walk off and think, oh, that was a great session because the way I drew it up was there wasn't a lot of room for error. We just wanted it to be very straightforward. So uh, one of the questions here is from Harry uh, SCH97. He says, when it comes to structuring your sessions, how long do you spend on each topic? For example, warm-up, game-related, and match-related stuff. So I guess to tailor his question to kind of what I'm, I'm trying to get at here is, how has that background in psychology and understanding the tactical side of things kind of changed up your approach as a coach into uh, your session planning and what you delve into for a certain amount of time? Yeah, sure. Um, so I wouldn't say that the session planning or structure is a simple A, B, C, D, E. You know, Tim spoke about it on your previous chat about this linear approach. You know, we start with a warm up and we end with a whatever this might be at the end. I think it's about getting the goalkeeper into an environment where they're comfortable quite swiftly moving through. Uh, and what I mean by that is what does a warm-up look like to the goalkeeper? So if a warm-up to a goalkeeper looks like going through hurdles, poles, cones, and, and things like that, I would ask the goalkeeper, how is that warming them up for the skill that they're about to do? So can we do that in a better way? So can we get the goalkeepers, A, understanding that, as an example, they're going into a first session. As soon as they enter the pitch, they're going into a first session. And that first session looks like the actual session that they're going to progress to. So it is a warm-up. It is a, a lighter dose of what they're going to do. But the movement prep and the feedback that they're getting from the environment is exactly the same as to what they're about to see. And it's not a false environment. Cones, ladders, hurdles, poles is a, is a false environment. And the biggest thing I've found is, so when you have a pole, 
like this and, and you're going through. It's almost like a strange thing to do. You start on the goal line and you go through the poles and end up on the six-yard line. But I would ask anybody, where in a game would you start on a goal line, zigzag all the way through to the six-yard box and then receive a volley? As basic as that sounds, like, but that's the way we've gone as, as goalkeeping coaches. We've gone to almost like bring things to the game that maybe have never occurred before. So I've almost found people yeah. talk about reinventing the wheel. I'd actually say that we're trying to take it back to the way it was now uh, because the reinventing the wheel is actually putting in things in place that were never there in the past. You know what, Anthony, I think that's, a, that's a really good point that you bring up because me, I, I use myself, I don't like to blame anybody else, but me, when I stepped into the coaching uh, world, I think sometimes you try to make a name for yourself, right? You really want to, to be different and, and try to be unique. And I think sometimes that's a detriment to your goalkeepers. And again, like you said, we're trying to reinvent the wheel when really what's been established by some of the greats in the past, like Eric Steele, for example, that tactical approach is very, very important in creating that atmosphere and that, that environment for your goalkeepers to see what they're going to see and replicate what they're going to see as best, as best you can for the game weekend. So do you feel like some coaches, any advice to them who maybe think that they're trying to reinvent too much and maybe trying to go back to uh, the basics and how would they go about doing that? Yeah, two strands off that. So I just want to make it clear. So if you have an older goalkeeper, if you are a coach, maybe you're older or a younger goalkeeper and you're going into a first team environment, if that goalkeeper, so I'll give an example like Arta, we've got Arta Boric. Um, if you're going into an environment where Arter needs the things that he's grown up with. You're, you're attending to the goalkeeper's needs. Are we going to change Arter uh, at 37? No. Would we want to? No, definitely not. Uh, but what we would want to do is make him the best prepared for the game. So if he wants follies, he wants half follies. That's a decision that he's had and he's grown up with. Uh, that's an experience that he's comfortable with. I'm talking about the younger age groups now, the, the age groups that we can impact. And as goalkeeping coaches, just like teachers at school, we have the opportunity to impact their careers. So the second strand to your question with how are we going to uh, stand out? What, why do we need to stand out? Because I think when people start to stand out as reinventing something or being slightly different, there's always going to be the issue surrounding whether we're just doing it for us for a purpose to be seen on YouTube or social media strands. I'd ask them the question, the younger goalkeeping coaches or even the older goalkeeping coaches, if you had somebody now dropped onto this earth and they go, what does goalkeeping look like? Then that's where you take your, your process from. What does goalkeeping look like? Go and draw it up on the board. And if you come back and you say goalkeeping looks like ladders, cones, hurdles, poles, and it looks like volleys into the top corner, and it looks like half volleys and dippers, and it looks like this, that, then that's your answer, and that's perfectly fine. But if your answer comes back to me and it goes, the goalkeeper looks like, you know, has to be a good distributor at the moment. This is the way the trend is going. It has to be good at a wide range of techniques and ability to execute them at a moment time. You know, if that's what goalkeeping looks like to you, and fantastic, that's another viewpoint. But I would definitely suggest to any goalkeeping coach, take yourself away, get yourself in a room and go and write down what does goalkeeping look like to you? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really, that's good. It makes you think too, as a coach as well. You have to really take what you have in your head and try and process it, which again is kind of what we do every day with our approach or preseason approach to, to our training. It's like, what pieces do I have in front of me with these goalkeepers? How can I get the best out of them? And again, you have like a blank sheet of paper and you kind of create new ideas because if you approach every situation, right, the same way every single time, probably not going to be right because you have different personalities, you have different people, different uh, things at play. So yeah, so that's, that's a really good point. And one thing I do want to ask you about is about some of the things that the coaches have who have been on here have mentioned is that I think Paul Rogers, I mentioned to him about having a bad session. And he said, yeah, you know, sometimes Omar, I've had those sessions where everything I discussed in the classroom, we go out there and it was completely different. Like the drills were the same, but the coaching points that I got were completely different. And I think the the volley you're talking about, I think when we hit the ball off the ground, now we're working on multiple things about your optimal set shape when the ball is being rolled or how, how can you know what I'm saying? There's more things you're working on from the, the touch and hit or like the stationary ball that you're hitting than just a straight volley. So one of the questions I have here is from Craig Olson. He says, how would you make handling a skill-based session rather than just technique? Yeah, I think it's taking it to, what does, again, what does it look like? 
So you think of the very different service that a goalkeeper is going to uh, receive in a, in a catchable environment. It's going to be something maybe like the attacker or, or a midfielder taking it off his chest, bouncing it down and then hitting. So especially at a younger age group, can you, can you almost like ask the goalkeepers their questions? So it may be setting a skill. I've just seen there um, asking about 12 to 18 year olds, but could you... As a, as a prep exercise, you know, you might ask little Fred, Fred, could you set me five different tasks that you're going to do on Monday? So on Monday, I just want to see five different deliveries that you might receive from an outfield player that doesn't look like a volley, but helps me with, with my catching. So as an example, receiving a volley, I say volley, but like the cross comes in, it's a volley. Receiving a header is slightly different. Receiving the ball off the ground, receiving the curl ball, receiving a chest and volley. Mm. All of a sudden, you've got five different elements there. How does the goalkeeper now catch the ball or manipulate the ball, whatever they may choose to do? That's now your skill because it's recognising the five different elements all in cohesive environments and then going, this is what I have to do. This is how I react. This is what I have to do. Wow, I'm learning a lot already. I'm, I'm already thinking about you know doing the, my... We can't be on the field, but I'm already processing how I'm going to add this into my sessions but it's almost like um i think the hardest thing uh, and again we're all there's no ultimate coach in the world and there's no bad coach in the world it's how you apply it to the players and get them to buy into it like it is with anybody you know you could you could have all of these great ideas step out onto the pitch and the goalkeepers just aren't interested whatsoever so it's how do you get that message across and i don't think there's a right or wrong way Although I do think there is a definitive wrong, wrong way, which would be to say <laughs> that my way is the correct way instead of saying, is there a way to explore X, Y, and Z? Yeah. And so you you were talking about your psychology background. And one question that I've been, I've been discussing with uh, one of my buddies, Eric Klonofsky, he plays for USL championship team here, uh, Toronto FC2. And he and I were discussing the psychology of pressure and how coaches can implement pressure into their sessions. Is it through their coaching style, through the drills they have, through like putting the goalkeepers through competition? So how have you used that psychology background to develop that mentality? Yeah, pressure is an interesting one. So um, obviously you could put pressure in a variety of different strands. And I'm sure people have spoken about it before. You could talk about the physical pressure uh, of an environment. So simply asking the goalkeeper to do multiple different activities, it may be uh, doggies, things like that, although that doesn't relate anything to goalkeeping. <laughs> um, yeah. Or you could put from a psychological pressure point of view, it's almost saying to the goalkeeper, this is the environment. So again, I keep going back to it, but there's certain things in a goalkeeping session that you can apply pressure to. So you can apply pressure in a, a service dynamic way by having realistic service bodies so opposition players obviously a competitive environment in the respect of you know in some cases there's there's, there's money on it there's coffee on it there's social order on it if you want to call it that of uh, hierarchy you know you could go i'm the the best i'm the worst whatever but there's certain things that environmental pressures you simply cannot put on you cannot bring fifty thousand people into a training environment and say please go crazy and <laughs> chuck pies onto me or things like that. that that just isn't going to happen so i think you you have to again as a goalkeeping coach go back to it and go what are the the pressures that we can realistically apply well especially at an academy level in america and definitely here in england is we can put applied pressure multiple goalkeepers so they're all working at one time you can definitely put competition on realistic to a game uh, Definitely. And you can make every single session fun and engaging. Um, and obviously, not as much as a, a hierarchical system, but you can almost get them buzzing off each other in the respect of, you know, I'm going to win today and this is my competitive environment. And maybe the coach turns around and goes, look, we've got two minutes left on the clock. This is your 88th minute. You don't want to concede or you might put another restriction on us. You know, one of the goalkeepers in one of the goals, you know, if you go back to Tim's four goal drill, it may be that there's a restriction on one of the goals, there's not a restriction on the other, and they've all got different types. Even though it's the 88th minute, somebody might be drawing 1-1, somebody might be winning 1-0, somebody might have a player sent off. And how are they going to control their individual elements in that four-goal or two-goal game, especially with the opposing players? But you breed in a competitive environment and real-life stress, even though you've not got 50,000 people around you. Yeah, and absolutely. I think that's even when you... 
when you put those uh, goalkeepers and the young ones too in those situations, then that's when the coaching comes in, right? Because you get to experience and see how they react to those pressures. And then from there, now you have more, not a case study, but you have more understanding of what their personality is like and are they winners? You know, what kind of mentality do they have when things don't go their way? So I think that's that's a good way. And um, from Jesse Goldman, one of my buddies who is on the physical side of things, he's on the uh, sports side stuff for goalkeepers as well. And he says, what were some of your most interesting findings in your physical demands, microcycle match play research paper? And how can you plan to use those findings moving forward in your career? It's different at every club because uh, it'll be different in terms of what feedback you get from the outfield coaches prior to, to going onto the pitch, depending on what level. Uh, you'll be told what's actually going to happen within the session. So you can tailor the goalkeeping session suited to what they're going to now go and face. So it may be, as an example, at first team level, that you know they're going to be involved in a lot of gameplay. So how can we prepare them for gameplay prior? So the physical demands might be low for that day, as an example, uh, because they're going to go into more of a game-type environment. However, the, the coach might turn around and go, today we're doing 1v1s, 2v2s, 3v3s. We're going to do small-sided games and we're going to do a lot of shooting. So all of a sudden, what is the load for the goalkeeper there? The load is quite high in an outfield perspective. It may just be a case for that day that it's just about getting the goalkeepers warm, in essence, ready to move on to the, to the outfield perspective. You know, um, So I think it's about, again, what does the session look like? Uh, and how do we clearly look at where the needs are? So small-sided games, a low dose of physical uh, activity, a high dose of mental activity. You talk about goalkeeping sessions, depending on how you do them, it could be really high physically, it could be really high mentally. Um, shooting practices, really high physically, low mentally, unless you start bringing opposing players in, which then you've got high mental, high physical. So really, I'd say, or I'd pose a question back to Jesse, Please look at the sessions, have a look at what it actually looks like for you. So if you're working with the younger ones, you know, do you get that information prior or do you just go out there? Um, or if you're working with the older ones, can you try and plan the worst case scenario, maybe? Got you. And uh, I have a question here from Save Hands Goalkeeping. He says, hey, Anthony, how does your week look like at Bournemouth? Also, how does your role supplement Neil Moss at the club? And I think that's a, it's a good point because I really wanted to kind of hear a little bit more background of the day to day. How does a week look like? Um, so usually uh, the starting goalkeeper um, on a Monday, this is throughout the club, will will have that. Sorry, the starting goalkeeper from the Saturday on that Monday. It's their choice if they want to come out. Entirely their choice. I think it then allows them a bit of a mental breather. So it gives us an opportunity to maybe work with the number two or the number three. And then on the Tuesday, obviously we work together as a group. And on the Wednesday, we work together as a group. And then the Thursday we have as an off day uh, I think that's common knowledge to to most people and the Friday is obviously our game prep day and then the game on the Saturday back to your question is how obviously you supplement uh, Mossy so when I first came in doing quite a lot of the, the sports science as well as the coaching over the sort of the last two years less sports science the sports science team are, are, are dealing with you know the sports science side of things and my role predominantly is on field session design with Mossy, recruitment. We've just done a big morning this morning on recruitment. Obviously, any sort of PDP clips and things like that. We are very fortunate in the respect that maybe some of the work that you would get at other clubs where the goalkeeping coach does everything, we're very fortunate in the respect that we have a goalkeeping analyst, Matthew Parker, who is very, very, very good and looks at things in a slightly different way, was never a goalkeeper never had any ambition to be a goalkeeper, got sort of put in the role, voluntarily put in the role. And what he gives us is incredible, but can we supplement that myself and Mossy? So yeah, my, my role is really what you make it. I think as an assistant goalkeeping coach, it's how you decide. There's, you could go all in, or it's quite easy to maybe just do the bare minimum because you're essentially assisting the head goalkeeping. So I think it's more about where your personality lies. If your personality lies that a bit like me at times, I'm a bit of a control freak and I, I know that um, it's one of my areas of improvement, but um, you know, I like to be involved in everything, even if it's the under sixes. And I also recognize that that can annoy quite a few people, um, especially when that's not my job. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I think a, a lot of us coaches who are passionate about it are very hands-on, right? And I think it's it sounds like, I mean, looking at your track record, you're very uh, passionate about this. And I don't want to say obsessive, but I think it's at this point, we're all obsessed about the position. And um, to build off that, though, how do you go about not overcoaching? You know, I think that's a big point for me and in, in how I started kind of understanding for answers like yours about tactical sessions and putting more unannounced sessions together, even for younger goalkeepers, because... Uh, I'll give you a little story. I had a kid who was nine years old and he thought he knew everything, let's put it that way. And he was really good at the technical, really good at all that stuff. And then we did, um, I had his dad help me. We're doing like 70, 30 or 60, 40 balls for 1v1s. And every ball that I played out, he just continuously misjudged, misjudged, misjudged. And it sparked something in my head to think, oh my God, well, you can have everything isolated, but once you put them in situations where they have to think for themselves, boom, okay, I got to get out of my own way of trying to make sessions look perfectly, you know, perfect the way I want them to look versus what's going to help them. So how have any experiences in your past that have helped you to realize that and not overcoach and just kind of let things kind of happen based off of uh, your session planning? Yeah, so I think there's two strands again. So you may have to bring me back to my train of thought, but the first strand is I just talk on almost like what you said there about isolated techniques. So, you know, how many of us as goalkeeping coaches can look back and go, there was no transfer? You know, our session was great today, brilliant. But how much of it is actual transfer? So when they go over with the outfield or when they go into a competitive environment, how much of it actually goes, yeah, I can I can see that the goalkeeper's learned something here or is taking something on board and is now going to develop it there versus my session looks really good and it doesn't really matter what they go and do over there. So just to go back with it, there was a couple of episodes ago uh, where you touched upon training technique versus skill. And mm-hmm. I want to make this point uh, really important because I, I feel quite passionate about it. It's almost like saying, I think it was the Peter Schmeichel example. <laughs> you give an example that I'm going to train this technique and I'm going to train this technique and I'm going to train this technique. Perfect. But what happens if your goalkeeper had an, a better way of dealing with that technique than I did to tell you as a coach? So as an example, and I won't give the name, but in my career, the seven years at first team level, I've been at fault for telling a goalkeeper to do it my way because that's the way that it looked good for me visually. I was looking at it going, yeah, that looks really good. Then mm. they went into an outfield perspective, but they couldn't master the technique that I'd given them because that wasn't their skill. What their skill was is what they're good at. And what was good was something that I coached out of them because I'd constantly gone in and because I was looking at it and going, it doesn't look perfect. It doesn't look perfect. It doesn't look perfect. It annoyed me. And that's wrong because just because it doesn't look right doesn't mean it's not effective. I know we use that word a lot. So go back to that goalkeeper. I've actually potentially harmed him for six months instead of going, Go on then, showcase what you can do. And then again, if it's still not working, then there's opportunities to discuss and and move from there. That's a really good answer. And I think, yeah, that's again, a lot of us coaches struggle sometimes where we have those goalkeepers that we want to have our fingerprints on because... Again, it's an. I keep using the word ego, but I think it is because you know we, we're very prideful in the work that we do. And if you're in this line of work, it's a very individualistic kind of role, right? Because when you see a goalkeeper and you say, "Oh, that goalkeeper worked with Anthony," it's nice to hear that. You know, you have it's like a they're putting a profile, and you can kind of tell what the, what these goalkeepers and what their attributes are and how good they are and what your priority as uh, as a coach are and how those two align. So I think that's important. But I think one thing you and I, we had a little phone call one recently and it was talking about like the ideal technique for somebody may not be aligned with your mentality and approach. So do you feel like uh, for any advice, again, you just mentioned it, but to elaborate a little bit more for those coaches that may think that I want my goalkeeper to look a certain way and how do I go about not forcing something on them that may look wrong but looks good on me or looks good to my eye yeah i actually read something the other day that said um people or peers that you've worked with they'll always forget maybe what you said they'll always forget maybe how you did something but they'll never forget the way that you acted with them so it got me sort of thinking it you know every time that we go in and give a technical point they probably don't remember it every time that we go in uh, and act in a certain way they probably don't but what they do remember is the interactions that we give them so it would be really nice in the future if a goalkeeper you know you, you have a goalkeeper that's nine years old now and he goes on to be the usa international goalkeeper and he turns around and doesn't talk about individual techniques or skills or anything he just talks about the person 
So he goes, you know, Omar allowed me to be the goalkeeper that I am because of the environments that he set up, you know, and allowed me to flourish in that environment. Not by saying Omar allowed me to do this because he showed me 50 million times how to catch a volley, you know. So that's profound. That's profound. No, you're right. It is people. People. People like or people reflect on on the personality and how you allowed them to get the best version of themselves versus the best version that you thought was best for them. Okay, I have two comments here that I want to read to you. One is from Tim Dittmer, who we all know, head of goalkeeping for England. Uh, he says, Anthony, outstanding stuff. You've come on so much, capitalized so, and explained your rationale and methods so well for us. Brilliant. So that's, again, he's top man, so top guy. Yes, and uh, Nathan Thackeray, I know you know him. He says, great conversation, guys. Question for you, Ant. How do you integrate top talent from the youth system into the pro environment? Do you change the game slash training demands for those goalkeepers? If so, how? Yeah, so again, we've been lucky. Um, we've got three really good academy goalkeeping coaches here at the club. Uh, we've got Callum Stanton, ex-player. We've got Joe Prodomo, who came out of the non-league system. We've got Gaz Stewart, an ex-goalkeeper at the, um, at the football club. Uh, and they've done a really good job with the under-9s through to the lads coming out of the under-18s into the 23s. And those boys have come up with us probably not enough, probably more than most clubs, uh, but still not enough. Some obviously our fault, be open and honest with that because of the way of the needs of the goalkeepers that are currently in the first team. And also a case of are they ready yet? And maybe looking at it, they probably could have come up earlier. They've probably always been ready. They probably needed that next experience in order to develop further. Um, so we've got a, a lad at the moment who's only a second-year YT. He's probably past that 23 stage in terms of training. And probably the next step that's going to take him further is actually training with the pros full-time. The issue you'll find up and down the country, especially in England, is is there a space for them to make that next step? So especially if you, you work in three or four goalkeepers in the first team each day, and now you add in two more, it's great for us as coaches because we've got more players, we can work with them. Uh, it's fantastic. But then you think about what the goalkeepers are going to achieve on that day. You know, if you've got an hour to work with them, four goalkeepers, you maybe get 15 minutes of time. Now that goes down to 10 minutes of time. You've got first-team goalkeepers preparing for a Premier League game versus, you know, a development goalkeeper who maybe needs a little bit more in certain areas. So there's a lot to weigh up. Um, I'll be honest with you. There's no right way to do it. Uh, there's certainly a wrong way to do it. Um, we've all made mistakes of where players could have been pushed up a little bit more. Uh, but I think we found the right balance, especially with the two young lads in Mark Travers and Will Dennis, who from the first day that they came in, so Will's what, a second-year pro now. He only had six months with the under-18s, um, just showed something and came up with us straight away. Um, Mark Travers, exactly the same. You know, he came over from Ireland. He's been straight up with us. And Aaron Ramsdale obviously came out of the, the setup at Sheffield United where they'd done a really good job with him uh, and came straight in. So, unfortunately, maybe the, the younger lads that are, again, really good goalkeepers we've got Cam Plain, Callum Ward Billy Terrell Joe Besson it's almost like waiting for their turn now to, to come through because like I say Cal Joe and Gaz have done some excellent work with them absolutely yeah we only have a few more minutes here Anthony and again uh, great episode so far you've you've come on here and, and again it's it's things that I like about these things is that it doesn't just help people who are watching but for me as a coach I ask the questions that I like to hear and that I want to hear because you know as you get older and older it's just getting those different perspectives and that help you shape yourself as a coach so I, these perspectives have definitely got me to be more thought-provoking and, and think about my next sessions whenever the sessions whenever we get back on the field but I'm excited to be I'm excited to be out there um, so two quick questions one from Chris Sharp who's the goalkeeper coach at the Colorado Rapids he says I believe you just said Thursday is the off day how does the how does that affect your number one's weekly flow and rhythm so close to the Saturday game I think I might have to ask answer that question just to Chris maybe Slightly another time. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, maybe yeah, no more worries. in depth, but just, just <laughs> as, as, as an overbrief, obviously, if somebody like Aaron, he's been in the system for quite a while. So that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is quite, um, it's something that he's been used to now. Uh, so it hasn't really been a factor. Uh, okay. He sort of quite enjoys that that environment but again yeah i'll happily talk to chris separately on on that that's okay <laughs> no yeah, yeah i'll let him know and uh we have one here from phil wedden phil wedden says uh what do you feel coaches should prioritize in their training of goalkeepers under 16 and why i think we go back to it a lot um 
you know, I've heard Paul Rogers say it about being a winner and I've heard people talk about technical excellence and I would ask the question when we go back to it, how many of your goalkeepers that have come through from 16s, 18s and, and first team have been technically excellent or have they just been really good game players? Now, obviously, there's going to be an element of technical excellence in there, but can we just get goalkeepers to thrive at the position um, have a winning mentality and just a sheer desire to keep the ball out of the net and do the best they can in possession as well. So if we look at it from, from strands, can they be the best goalkeeper possible? Now, if there's certain aspects that don't allow them to, to be the best as a shot stopper, can they be the best aerially? If there's certain aspects that don't allow them to be the best in possession, can they be the best shot stopper? Whatever that might look like, but can they have what I would call a super strength? Can they have that? Can they be known, especially in America when they go to college? You know, oh, Rollins College this year have signed an unbelievable goalkeeper. His super strength is his kicking. So every, you know, Lynn College and Barry, they all need to be aware that this goalkeeper, his super strength is his kicking. And yeah. So I would say rather than prioritise, I would say more, can the goalkeepers become more aware of what their super strengths are? And can they relay that to the coaches? So as an example to Phil, you know, if I've got little Fred and, and whoever else and they go, my super strengths are in possession, but I really need to work on my shot stopping. You know, can we, can we relay that back to the goalkeeper? Can we have an open discussion to then move forward? Yeah, I think that's, that, that is huge. And that's one point that I've been trying to make for younger goalkeepers is as you get older, it's one thing for the coach to spoon feed and, and tell you exactly what they want you to work on. But it's also important for them to create that kind of find their own voice as a player and say, hey, this is what, what I need. Like you said, uh, over the weekend, I saw outswinging balls. I need to work on those. Or I saw some balls that kept dipping in on a wet surface. So kind of finding their voice so that's a collaboration. So I'm not just giving you what to work on, but let's work together to, to improve you and you kind of be, I use the word selfish a lot, maybe in the wrong way, but this connotation meaning like find out what you need and like don't be afraid to ask for it from your coach. And as coaches- Again, it was probably because of the infancy of soccer at the time. Uh, but it was almost a case of like, it was like at school, you know, kids mm -hmm. would come, All the online, teacher would yeah. be there. This is our, this is our order of the day. We're now going to work on maths and then we'd all work on maths and then you go home <laughs> and that's it. Whereas yeah. there needs to be back and forth discussion of somebody going, this is what I need. This is what I feel I need to work on. Can we have a common ground of how we actually get there? Perfect. Anthony, we have about based off my time here, one minute. So I want to ask you two questions. One, two or three pieces of advice for younger goalkeepers and two or three pieces of advice for coaches. Go. <laughs> okay, so two or three pieces of advice for goalkeepers. Uh, be fearless. Um, be fearless. Just go and explore. Go and try something. It doesn't have to look perfect every single time. Have a sheer love for the game. If you don't have a love for the game, it's really hard. Uh, it's like anything. You know, if you don't love maths, you're not, you're not going <laughs> to want to achieve more at maths. Yeah. Um, and I'd say also, like, shut off from it. You know, it's not the be-all and end-all. You need to shut off from football and, and have an understanding that, okay, I need to take time to reflect and move on from there. Um, and then as a goalkeeping coach, speak to as many people as possible. Learn from your mistakes. We're all making mistakes. I'm making loads all the time. I've made ton this morning uh, in my own department. <laughs> uh, that's just a, a fact. And be open. Don't just think that your way is right. My way isn't right. Not that it is my way, but, it, you know, yeah. we've definitely got to be open to everybody's opinion all right guys thank you so much to our guest anthony white first team assistant goalkeeper coach for afc bournemouth that was a wealth of knowledge a lot of great information there hopefully you guys are sitting there with a pen and a notepad taking notes because again that was one of my favorite episodes to everybody listening please rate review and subscribe again it helps me out a lot and it gets these episodes out to more people so please go ahead and do that for me again hopefully you guys are all staying safe staying indoors self-quarantining and hopefully we'll all be out on the field sometime soon. Again, guys, my name is Omar Zini. Have a great day. Take care.